Good morning. My name is Catherine, and we will be on a bit of a journey this morning. Hopefully, we won't end up in the lake. I love that clip because it is true. There are times when our journey seems to take us off the road, aren't there? Sometimes we can feel like the directions that we've grown accustomed to have stopped working. Even if God's voice in our lives has seemed pretty clear, sometimes that changes. As we stay on the path, we can end up in places that are off of what we thought the road was supposed to look like. And this can be disorienting and even frightening. As Christians, we believe that Jesus came not only to rescue humanity from the brokenness of sin, but also to show us how to be fully human in the way that God has always intended us to be. We understand that, like Jesus, we must die spiritually by surrendering fully to God, but there is also more. In Christianity, death is never, ever the end of the story. In fact, it's usually somewhere in the middle. As we continue to follow in the way of Jesus, not only will we be led through the path of surrender, we will also be led into resurrection. There's not just life after death. Jesus establishes life beyond death. There's no going back. There's a whole new uncharted normal that's waiting to be discovered and received. So we're going to talk this morning about what it looks like to live on this side of Easter. What does it mean to follow Jesus through surrender and then also through the resurrection? What does the life of faith look like beyond initial surrender? We're going to look at scripture this morning to begin to reflect on that question. But before we do, where are you this morning? What does your internal GPS say? You made it to church, but where's your heart? Where's your spirit? Would you take just a second to just sort of check in? Let God know that you've shown up this morning. Showing up is really important because all through Scripture, what we notice very consistently about God is that he meets us where we are. So wherever you are this morning is precisely the place that God has been intending to meet you here. So in that same space, would you just offer this prayer? God is here. God is with me where I am. That's a prayer of faith. And it may not feel true for all of us this morning, but faith is not a feeling. Faith is receiving a gift. So let's receive that gift together this morning. Would you pray with me? God, as we turn toward you this morning, we acknowledge that you are here. Would you help us to show up? Would you help us to open up to you, to trust you? And we thank you in advance for anything that you want to give us this morning. 
And it's through your risen son's name that we pray. Amen. In St. Paul's letter to the Galatians in the New Testament, we find some words that summarize sort of where we are this morning. And we begin to give us a vision for what this life of faith is all about. So let's read these few verses aloud together. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Now, Paul is a brilliant man, and he is a theological poet, and so sometimes his words can become a little thick for us to read, but we're going to just jump in here and take it piece by piece. So let's start with that first part that says, I have been crucified with Christ, yet it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You know, anyone who is alive in this world is familiar with crucifixion. It's the nature of this divided and sin-filled world to stretch us out between heaven and earth within an inch of our lives. That's not new. That's every headline that we see. Maybe you are here this morning and you are wishing and hoping and praying that maybe someday you'll know what it's like to be on the side of resurrection. Because right now you're still suffering and you're in pain you're still sorting your way through grief and loss, or maybe an addiction is quietly killing you and nobody knows. Maybe for you, it's still Good Friday. But especially for you this morning, even if resurrection might sound like a little bit of a fairy tale, especially for you, there is this amazing word here in Scripture for you. I have been crucified with Christ. The world will crucify you, but only Jesus will meet you there. Jesus is saying to us this morning in his suffering body on the cross, right there, right at that moment where you feel the most pain, the most loss, the most separated, that is where I am coming for you. You are not alone. We have a choice. We can be crucified with Christ. Paul continues, he has been through his crucifixion. Christ has met him there, but now he's on the other side. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, to follow all of what Paul is saying, we need to understand exactly who is this I that Paul is talking about. That's going to be hard to do from just the two and a half verses that we're looking at this morning. But if we were to spend time looking at much more of Paul's writings, and he has a lot of them in the New Testament, we would find that very commonly he uses phrases like the old self, the old man, the old woman, the natural man, the sinful man. He uses these phrases a lot. And throughout history, a lot of writers and theologians have used phrases like the separate self or the false self. Thomas Merton is one author who gets quoted quite a bit around here. He speaks a lot about the false self. All of these people are pretty much talking about the same thing. They're talking about what Paul is talking about, about the self that exists before surrender, before crucifixion. It's the old self, the false self. 
So Paul has experienced crucifixion and through that a deep surrender to Christ, but just like Jesus, Paul's self doesn't stay dead. He's also experiencing resurrection with Christ. The self that dies in the surrender of crucifixion is his old self, the separate self, his false self. Shedding this false self is really necessary. It is a big step on the path toward resurrection. Jesus used a metaphor to explain it this way in John 12, 24. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. The false self or the separate self has got to go because it is a lie. It is less than the full truth of who we are. It is only partially true. It is true, but only partially true. The best lies always are, aren't they? The false self tells us that we have a self, we have a will, but that we are on our own, and we need and can figure out how to fulfill ourselves. And that's exactly what we try to do, isn't it, with our sin? We attempt to complete our own creation, but we are not the creator. Not only is the false self wrong, it is dangerous, it's lethal. We are not equipped or able to bear that kind of responsibility because we are not God. I wonder, has anyone ever shared that particular insight with you that you are not God? I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here. So would you take a second to turn to someone next to you, look at them with as much Christian compassion as you can, and say, there is a God, but you are not him. <laughs> Share that wisdom. Now, I notice some of you are sharing this a little more enthusiastically than the exercise required. Speak the truth in love. I am not God. The false self must break down if we are ever going to fully receive God's salvation. The sin of the false self functions as an obstacle that obscures the grace of God. God's grace has always existed before time began, and when eternity takes over the calendar, it will still be there. It cannot be destroyed, but it can be deflected or refused. Or some translations of Scripture say it can be rendered ineffective in our lives. To stop blocking the flow and power of God's grace in our lives, sin has got to go. But not the self. Genesis tells us that we are made in the image of God. Is God going to throw away his own image? You know, if you read some Christian books, some Christian music, very popular stuff, especially here in the U.S., you could walk away with this idea that God is going to do just that, that salvation is somehow God's garbage disposal plan for humanity. Phrases like, rid me of myself, you can have this life, I'm just passing through, these kinds of things. Well, I believe that the artists who wrote these things were very well intended. If we ever separate those ideas from the biblical understanding that God is a lover and a redeemer of humanity, we might be left with the impression that human beings in this life are disposable and worthless. 
that ourselves don't matter, only our souls, as if those were two separate things. But does that idea really resonate with what we know about God as a savior, a seeker, a redeemer, the God who became flesh in Jesus Christ? No. And in fact, treating the self that you inhabit in this life as unspiritual is not Christianity at all. That belief actually belongs to another religion called Gnosticism. As followers of Jesus, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's love if we ever hope to live in the resurrection. The truth of God's love is that Jesus did not die for your sins. Now, please listen to me very, very carefully. Jesus did not die for your sins. He died because of your sin. He died for you. It was his endless love for you that was his motivation, always and still. So if we want to follow surrender Jesus style all the way through to resurrection, we have to get in touch with the reality that God is more about the work of redeeming us than getting rid of us. We have to start receiving the resurrection and surrendering to being loved and being lovable in God's eyes. We have to start valuing ourselves as God values us, not more, but also not less. Otherwise, we're never going to arrive at the command to love our neighbor as ourselves. The truth is, we may be loving them as we love ourselves already. The problem is we just don't love ourselves at all in a godly way, so the neighbors are out of luck too. But having been joined with Christ in surrender, we are no longer our own. Now, Paul tells us, God's connecting love has given us a brand new personal pronoun. No longer is it just I. It's I, not I, but Christ in me. We're not on our own anymore. That's over. That is over. You know, there's no help in Christianity, but there's an endless supply of God helping the self. We are not on our own. So we're going to try out this new pronoun. I'd like you to think of one thing that you're going to do this week. Nothing personal, no TMI, please, but just one thing that you're going to do. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to take care of my children. I'm going to have coffee with a friend. One thing that you will do this week. Got it? Okay, turn to someone next to you, and without commentary or explanation, just make that statement. I will insert the blank. All right, very good. Busy people. All right, now I would like you to repeat what you just said to the person next to you, but this time use your new pronoun. I, not I, but Christ in me, will go to work this week. I, not I, but Christ in me, will take care of my kids this week. Repeat what you just said, trying out your new pronoun. It may sound a little clumsy, but it's the truth. It is the truth. If you're joined with Christ, you are never showing up to work on your own. You never have a cup of coffee with less than three people if you're meeting somebody. That is the truth. 
It sounds different because resurrection makes all things new. It's all the same, only totally different. Maybe you can keep this pronoun in your back pocket this week for when you face something that's especially hard. You can remember, oh wait, I'm not here on my own. It's not all up to me. I've got Christ in me. Paul goes on to say, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. In total effect, Paul is saying that the wedding is over and the marriage has begun between him and Jesus. He says, I'm joined with Christ and now I'm becoming one with him. I'm living in this new pronoun. And what makes this life possible at all is the fact that God loves me and has given all of himself for all of myself. Because you see, this, this relationship that we have with God, it's a self-to-self relationship. God's self, myself, connecting, being together. The self is that given space where God has chosen to meet us. In another letter, Paul says, your temple is a body, or your body is a temple of God. A temple is a place where we meet God. You're that space. The incarnation of Jesus coming to earth in a body demonstrates that our faith is a full contact experience. It's here and it's now. So as we begin to live into this great relationship, as we inhabit the resurrection, God continues his transforming work in us through his grace that we're now able to receive more of Traces of the false self, they're still going to show up now and then. Nobody here is finished. No matter how much we desire to finish completely surrendering to God and be done with that crucifixion part of our life, that's a process that's going to continue or should continue through all of our life. You know, several years ago, about 12 years ago, I think, I had the privilege of being with my grandfather at the end of his life. And he was a wonderful man, as ornery as could be trusted. Uh, But he was wonderful, beautiful man. His death was not dramatic. It was kind of slow. His organs were checking out one at a time. So there was a lot of time just to be with him, and and I loved doing that. And towards the end, the last several days, he would kind of drift in and out of consciousness about every 20 or 30 minutes. And he had this wonderful, dry sense of humor. And... Every time he would open his eyes, he'd be kind of foggy, you know, and he'd look around and he'd give this big sigh. (sighs) I'm still here. (laughs) And I would laugh, but then, you know, after, I don't know, the second or third time, I I realized every time he opened his eyes, he was expecting to see Jesus, but he was stuck with us instead. (sighs) He eventually did see Jesus, and that was a great moment. But so often since then, I have thought about him saying, I'm still here. And I've thought about how much I feel exactly the same way when I find something in me, some piece of the false self in me that needs to be confessed, forgiven, and healed. I'm still there. I'm still here. And so are you. Life is our spiritual practice. This is the space that God has given us to receive his grace. And what happens is, as we live in faith, the soil of our heart softens toward God. And so this life-giving water of his grace is able to seep in at a deeper level than it could before when our hearts were hard. 
So if you've been following Jesus for a long time, and suddenly you bump into a time of wrestling with deep sin all of a sudden, or this big pocket of hurt in you that you didn't even know you were carrying around, don't be derailed by that. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be discouraged. It doesn't mean that you've left the path just because this is coming up. In fact, it may actually mean the exact opposite. It might just mean that finally the grace of God is sinking in and it's hitting things that it couldn't reach before because your heart was too hard, but it's not anymore. You can embrace those experiences as a gift. So we won't always know where it is that we are going in this off-road experience, but we can be aware of how it is that we're traveling. As we continue in this journey of faith, we can ask ourselves if we are traveling with a willful heart or a willing heart. A willful heart or a willing heart. A willful heart, to some degree, is still kind of concerned about getting its own way. The false self is still pulling some strings there. So we could ask ourselves, am I trying to tell God what to do with my prayers or getting him to bless what it is I want to accomplish? If so, there might be a little bit of willfulness there to surrender. But a willing heart is open to God, trusting him no matter what, just happy to be with him. So maybe we could ask ourselves, am I open? Am I living in the confidence that God really is enough for me? And if you're not sure where you are right now in this willful, willing continuum, gratitude is a really good indicator. Willing hearts are grateful. The false self is never satisfied. There's no such thing as enough. But for the willing hearts, they are anchored, anchored in this prayer of I'm not God. People with willing hearts know that prayer pretty well. So let's take a minute now, before we do anything else this week, as our journey is going to continue, and consider where our heart is toward God. What's our posture toward God? Are we willful in some way, even if we're willful on God's behalf? Or are we willing? Are we open? Take a minute to reflect on that. Would you stand with me as we receive God's benediction for us this morning? Transformation, resurrection, these are acts of God. This is God's work. It'll take place in you, but he's going to do the heavy lifting. So this week, may you come to recognize that you are no longer I by yourself, that you are now I, not I, but Christ in me as you've received him and surrendered to him. But may you not stop at surrender. May you go all the way to resurrection. May you allow and welcome the new life that God wants to create in you. And may you know that God who created and started this good work in you, he will be faithful even if you're faithless. He'll be faithful to complete it.